thank you for your word. Thank you that you've caused it to be written. Thank you that we could learn from it and teach from it, that it can pour into us. Uh, Lord, I, I just ask that the message that you have for us today would, would begin to change us, would begin to move us in, in a different direction, would begin to help shape us even more and deepen our intimacy with you. Lord, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so we're going back to Malachi. Finally, six weeks in the missional church. I hope that was a little different from your usual missional uh, series. I hope to finish Malachi before Advent starts. Advent starts the first week, and we're going to do an Advent series. Though, I just don't know what yet. Uh, We'll see what the Lord has for us, and and I'll be tapping some of you to light some Advent candles during our our time uh, Sunday morning. I know that we have the the Miller clan. They're going to do it. Um, They're going to do the last one because they're like 19 people, and there's only, you know, we want to make sure they have all candles to... And, and then they're going to read the entire Bible for us. And, and so. <laughs> but we're excited. So we're going to need three more families. And usually we like to pick on the newer people in our community. So if you're new, <laughs> don't worry, I'll be gentle, but firm. Um, so we're, going to get, we're just going to jump right into the text in Malachi. I think we have a lot to cover this morning. Malachi chapter 2 into chapter 3. This is what the Word of God says. You have wearied the Lord... With your words, how have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire in a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be accepted to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud the laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and who deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. The the book of Malachi, as we've kind of, I know it's been a while, but it's a book of rebuke, and it's a book of renewal. It's a book where God... God comes up against the people and says, oh, you, you want to accuse me? Oh, nay, nay, let me tell you something about that. And the Lord brings his people to trial. And what's happening here is the people actually believe that they are doing okay, that they are kind of living the right way. They're doing the God stuff. They're, they're, they're doing the religious stuff and still They're missing something. Like the blessing isn't there. And they blame God. That God is nowhere to be found. 
and that it's his fault that they are going through all of the motions, all of the religiosity of their day, and God isn't giving anything to them in the realm of blessing. And this whole attitude, is, this attitude has been the same throughout the entire book. When the Lord says, I love you, and I love you still. And like, yeah, well, how do you love us? Like, prove it. Because they don't believe they're getting what they deserve. And it's almost like, for them, in their disobedience, it, it doesn't matter to them anyway. Because God doesn't care about us. God isn't concerned about us anymore and we can see it in in the the questions they ask where is the god of justice or all who do evil are good in the eyes of the lord and he's pleased with them what he is saying is what they're saying what they're saying there is all the there's all these people they're doing bad things out there and god doesn't mind and you know where is this god of justice but what they fail to see is their own sin. They fail to take responsibility for their own sin. In fact, it's them who are doing evil in the eyes of God, and they are calling it good. And their indifference to that is causing this break, this separation in their intimacy with the Lord. They are breaking the covenant that God has established with his people. And they are complaining that he isn't blessing them with anything. And once again, God is going to address them. They make this accusation. Where is the God of justice? And he tells them, oh, don't you worry. I'm a coming. I am going to show up. And what's important for us to understand in this, in this whole uh, exchange between God and his people is that God is not some distant in the past deity that was okay for those people back then, for that cultural time, for that social time, in that cultural and social setting. Just, just he's, he's all the way in the past, and we really don't have to worry about it. But the Lord, our God, he is going to come to these people. And the Lord, our God, will eventually one day again come to us, his people. He is coming and he's coming back. And this should truly grab the attention of us. It, it should grab the attention of everyone. But especially of us. And, and especially those people who think, you know, God is like the absentee father. He's not involved. That is not the case. The people that Malachi are writing to, they doubt that there is a God of justice. Oh, but he is going to come back and he will establish his justice as a refiner's fire and as a launderer's soap. Man, he's going to burn away some stuff. He's going to clean some stuff up. He has a plan and he is going to make right all of the things that the people have broken in their covenant with him. And I love, I love this idea in this text. Oh, who can stand the day when the Lord returns to establish his justice on earth? Who can stand that day when he comes and he puts a spanking on witchcraft and magic and adultery and perjures and, and, and those who treat their workers unfairly and those who are not protecting the poor or looking out for the fatherless or looking out for the orphan? Who can stand the day when the Lord will come back and take everything that's wrong and make it right? 
I'm telling you, church, the only chance we have is because of Jesus Christ. The only chance that we have is because of Jesus Christ. God is not going to let evil win. It doesn't win. It loses. And we can stand with him only on the merits of Christ and the cross and his shed blood because we have been made righteous in God's eyes. Not because you're good enough, but because he's good enough. And in that day, there will be a transformation of the priests, the priesthood. They will begin to be able to worship God in the correct way. They will begin to understand the glory of the Lord and they will bring glory to his name and the people will be taught what it means to be in in a right relationship with him. And they will understand that in a deeper sense and the offerings that are brought will be acceptable once again. Do you see how this is, everything is pointing to Christ. This whole text, this whole Old Testament stuff is pointing to the coming of Jesus who will make everything right. The work that he did on the cross, this is all foreshadowing it, saying, man, it's coming. Don't you worry, it will be there. God's justice will be served. But it will be served through the grace of His Son, Christ. And that justice will be established forever. You know, the Scriptures tell us over and over and over again that uh, we all fall, fall short. We, all, we, we, can't, we can't quite get there. We all, we all mess up. In fact, I will say this. In humanity, we all deserve what we deserve is hell. We deserve to be eternally separated from the perfection that is God. But by the pouring of his grace through Jesus Christ, we can be restored, made right again in his eyes. And eventually what he's saying here is it's going to happen. And just let me tell you that it's going to happen. Oh, you don't think there's a God of justice? I'm coming, says the Lord. And I think he did invent that whole thing. I think that's how he, he created, you know, let there be light. Whoa, and there was light. I am coming, says the Lord. And this is the God who, who still loves his people. And he wants to bless the world through his people so that the world will know who he is and that his people will once and for all bring glory to his name. But the the spanking doesn't stop there. It continues on. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I love that. Because if God changed his mind, we all be hosed. But he does not change. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And then God asks the question, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. 
Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will throw, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines, and your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then the nations will call you blessed, blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I love the way this kind of starts. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. God's like, you know what? You haven't gotten it right from the very beginning. You try and you try and you try and you try. Blah, 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 lips are... But you haven't quite gotten there ever since the beginning. But he still calls them because he loves his people. As in Zechariah chapter 1, where God says, return to me. And I will return to you. Just as he told him in the beginning of, of the book of Malachi, I, I have loved you. I love you still. Return to me. And you know, this, this, this love is a, it's a no matter what love. Is it, it, you know, in our lowest points of disobedience, God still loves us. God still loves you in that worst moment when you messed up so bad. God still loves you. And he continues to call you back. Return to me. And I will return to you. You see, the love of God is a no matter what love. It's perfect. It's all-encompassing. And he continues for, to call his people. Repent. Come back. But you know, many times they, and even us, we really don't think we're all that bad. We really don't think that we've done anything that we would mess up that bad where God would be, you know, upset and really need to return. I mean, that's what's in the minds of the people. They really don't think they're doing anything that wrong. And, and, and you know, their story is our story, and our story is actually their story. When we are confronted with our lives before God, sometimes the sin in our life puts us in this spiritual stupor. It's almost like we become spiritually indifferent and we lack discernment about our own spiritual health before the Lord. Eh, I'm all right. And we joke about the things that we know we should be doing and that we're not doing. Eh, what does he really want for me anyway? I'm just a broken human being. And even in those rare moments where we, where we understand and we can see the truth of our spiritual health, we kind of just shrug our shoulders and that indifference comes back. And we're like, what can I do? What does he want? He's God, I'm not. He understands. And we begin to use grace as an excuse. And not grace as something that calls us home. And so they asked the question. How are we to return? And God's almost the same as Jesus where he asks the question. You, you never notice that? Will a mere mortal rob God? He doesn't answer the question. He asks them a question. And they're like, what, wait, what? How are we robbing you? How can a person that's been created by God, rob 
God, who's created everything, he sustains everything, he's sovereign over everything. We know in our brains that he, that he owns and everything is his. How can we rob him? Well, the beginning, hold my call. The beginning in the book of Malachi, it talks very briefly about how they're robbing him. They're bringing him offerings that don't cost them anything. What's left over? Yeah, we got some leftover bacon in the fridge. We'll give that to God. You know, I, probably not bacon because they were Jewish and they probably weren't doing for it. We got some leftover lamb chops. You know, we'll throw those out there. They're a little overcooked and uh, kind of tough. But, you know, and, and that was their mindset. They were breaking the covenant of marriage. They're, they're defrauding the helpless. And now God is going to bring a very specific charge against them. You are robbing me of tithes and offerings. People, you are being stingy and cheating me by not bringing, notice, the whole tithe to the temple, to the storehouse. The whole tithe. Some of you, or for those of you who may not quite remember what the principle of tithing is, it's an Old Testament principle of giving 10% back to God. The things that you earn, what you are earning, you would give 10% back to the temple, back to the storehouse, so there could be food in here. But you know, let's, let's be just kind of realistic, okay? And you have to take this all into the, in the historical context of, of what Judah is going through this, during this time. They are going through some very rough economic times. And it's almost like God doesn't even care about that. God's, God's not really in touch with what they're experiencing. They're experiencing droughts. And because of the drought, their crops are failing. And because of the drought and the, the, their crops are failing, um, their, their vineyards are withering, withering away. And the, and the fruit from the, the, the grapes are falling to the ground before they, they become ripe. And they have these plagues of locusts. We don't really understand plagues, except maybe some of you get the ladybugs like every time, you know, once in a while in the year. But okay, think of that with like bugs that are four inches long and eat everything. Okay, plagues are destroying their crops. And, and their gas prices were up way above $4 a gallon. The, the, the deficit in the nation is in the trillions. Health insurance is skyrocketing for them. Their, their value of their homes are plummeting. This is the condition of the lands. And God says, you're robbing me. You're not bringing the whole tithe to my storehouse. I think unemployment was even like 10% for them. You know, it seems when you only have a little, you want to try to hold on to that little as much as you can. You don't want to like let it go too much. Because what if, what if, what if, what if, what if this, what if that, what if we don't have any more? What if we have a little bit less? And see, the problem is when you hold back, you do so at the expense of not responding to God's love for you from him. When you hold back, you show that you lack trust and you lack love. Second Corinthians, Paul would say that God loves a cheerful giver. Deuteronomy 15 the Lord says that we are to give with our hands and our hearts open. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus will say, listen man, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat. 
don't worry about what you're going to drink or the clothes you're going to wear. God, God knows you, you need all that stuff. And so we are called to a place of trust, that we would trust in the God whom we know and, and who we love, that we would trust in the God whom we are known by and who loves us, that we would trust that we are precious in his sight and that he will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. In Psalm 37, the, the psalmist writes, I have, I have not seen the righteous forsaken and never have seen his children begging for bread. And this is the place of trust that God calls us to. And you know what? He goes, prove me. Test me in this. Give it a shot. Respond in love to my love to you, and let's see what happens. And I just see this as just an amazing, overflowing abundance of God's grace to his people. Go ahead, give it a shot. Test it. Test me now in this. And I will rain down, rain on your crop. I'm going to get rid of those locusts. I'm going to make sure that your vineyards get healthy. Judah is suffering the consequence of breaking their covenant with the Lord. And he is calling them back, inviting them back, offering a blessing of love if they would just come back and return to him in this covenant. Return to me and I will return to you. Yeah, but we can't misread this text. We can't, this, this is not the get-rich-quick scheme, okay? This is, this is not the, the kind of the, the, the tit-for-tat arrangement. Let's make a deal with God. What he is not saying is here, what he's not saying, if you give me your $5 bills, I'm going to give you the 50 Mm-hmm. And if you give me the $10 bills, oh, I'm going to give you the hundreds. Mm-hmm. Whoo, mercy. I don't know why I'm doing this. I have no idea. Forgive me if I've offended anybody, but sometimes I catch those guys on TV and they just like walk back and forth and sweat. Oh, my goodness. Those men can sweat. This is not what God is saying. This is not a legalistic and automatic, some materialistic deal that God is trying to make with you all, to make with us, to make with them. I, when I was researching this past week, I found this um, article in a newspaper online. Okay, so this dude in Pensacola, Florida, the pastor gets up and he starts talking about how if you tithe and you give to God, oh, God is going to just give you back now, I'm, I mean, I don't know what he said, but I think this is what he said. And he's going to give you blessings because at the end of the year, what this gentleman did was went to his pastor and said, I got nothing. All of those things you said I was going to get, I got nothing. I want my 800 bucks back. And the church went, oh, nay, nay, you can't have the money back. And he took a lawsuit against the church to sue the church to get his money back because the pastor did not deliver, or God didn't deliver, on what was promised to him. And I couldn't find anywhere if he, like, won the lawsuit, which would be pretty funny if he did. Um, but, but this is not what God is talking about here. Our gifts to the Lord. It's, it's a pouring out of ourselves to him. It's a pouring out of our love and our trust to him. It's, 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 it's our everything. It's giving all of that, everything that makes us, us, 
back to the Lord and that we would offer it as a sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to him. And when we come with that posture in our heart, God will open the floodgates of heaven upon his people. And what that means, and I believe what that means, is God will pour out grace and mercy like you've never seen it in your life before. Abundant grace, abundant mercy, new every morning that we would begin to see and recognize the glory of the Lord in all of creation. That we would begin to actually find dignity and contentment in whatever job that you're working at right now. And then as this grace and mercy is poured out upon us, we start to become people of, of patience and people of kindness and, and, and self-controlled. We no longer have to live with guilt and anxiety and dread about the coming election, the coming of the, what's going to happen to our economy. Those things just kind of fade away because we are responding in trust and love to the Lord our God and we find that peace that inner rest and peace. Those are the blessings that I truly believe that when the floodgates open, God will pour out upon his people. It's not necessarily the brand new car with the glove box stuff with 50s and $100 bills. It's not the winning lottery ticket. It's not the vacation to Acapulco. It's grace, mercy, abundance. When we come before God recognizing that he is our everything and that everything that we have is given to us by him and we are willing to give everything back to him, the floodgates of heaven are opened and it begins to pour blessing. All of this for the glory of God. All of this for the glory of God. Do you know that the Lord is most glorified when you are most satisfied with him. You want to know how to bring glory to the Lord? It's when you are most satisfied with God. It's not about all the things you think you have to do and you have to, you have to regurgitate chapter and verse and you have to know it all and you have to go to all the Bible studies and you have to do this and you have to do that. No, no, no. It's when you are most satisfied with God that he is most glorified and he longs for his church to be satisfied in him. We are loved because God loves all people. And he longs to open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing upon all people. And he longs that he, that he could use his church as part of that blessing. And what I'm learning in my life is that if you want to be the, a blessing, if you want to be the blessing that the Lord wants to pour out into the world, then we have to come to the place in our lives where we just give him everything, that we would open our lives, that we would actually surrender ourselves to him and that includes everything not just finances that we would surrender it all john wesley once wrote he said 
Give me a hundred men who love the Lord with all of their hearts and fear only sin, and I will move the world. I believe that if we give God a church who loves him with all of their hearts and fears only sin, watch God move the world. Will mere mortals rob God? It's almost like a, for real? I mean, I think in the Hebrew it might say, for real? Will mere mortals rob God? Being stingy with the Lord pushes against the very nature of our human lives. We have been given so much, but what do we do? You know, if you, if you look at other religions, I don't mean the main, the big religions, but if you study small tribal religions, um, you know, the, the ones that, that still use shaman as their spiritual leaders and, and they have, they believe in curses and, and hexes and all these things, and they create these, these small tribal religions, they create gods, idols, out of rock and out of wood and, and out of feathers and, and all of these things. And um, they go and they worship these idols and they worship them with reverence and they worship them in fear and they worship them with a deep sense of sacredness. They come with the mindset to this rock or to this piece of wood that it demands our, it demands our complete devotion. And that's the way they come at these, these cultic religions. And so how much more Christian, how much more, how different should we come and stand before the Lord of all creation and give Him our total, complete devotion? And instead, many times, I know it's for me too, we come before Him in selfishness. easier that way. I don't have to trust so much. God, our creator, our, our sustainer, our redeemer, who orders the earth, who gives us breath, who gave us Jesus to free us, who, 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 who sustains each day, and we are going to rob him? You know, to steal from God is ingratitude in its most callous and stubborn form. To steal from God is, it, it, it's just... It's ingratitude in its deepest, most stubborn level. Galatians 6, Paul would write this. God will not be mocked. What you sow, you are going to reap. What you sow, you are going to reap. So those who are stealing, who are robbing from God, they are creating their very own reward. Okay, but... Let's face it, we rob from God in a lot of different ways. When we, when we take his word and we kind of water it down and make it, make it a little bit more comfortable for people, we rob from God. When we take his commands and, and we water them down and make them more comfortable or make them more culturally sensitive or try to make them a little bit more politically correct, we rob from God. We rob from God when we pray so little and praise him so little. 
We rob from God by, by not speaking the glorious deeds that he has done in each of our lives. We rob from God when we don't stand up for, for justice and for mercy. He is our king. He is our father. He is our judge, our savior, our master, our redeemer. And to treat him with anything less is to steal from him. And he's, oh, he's so jealous over his own glory. He's not giving it away. But the text here in Malachi, it's talking about the tithe. That 10% benchmark that we're called, that they're called to bring to God. They are not bringing the whole thing into the storehouse. They're keeping a little back for themselves. Hey, you know, 5% is better than no percent. God loves a cheerful giver, so if I'm not cherry at 10, he obviously doesn't want it. That would mean God's more interested in materialism and then obedience to him. And that argument falls apart really quick. Tithing was part of the Jewish Old Testament law. Did he say law? I thought we were no longer under the law. Didn't Jesus come to set us free from the law? And you know, for those of you thinking of that, think chew on this. Jesus never really taught about tithing in, in, the, in the New Testament. There's not a lot of teachings. I can't find any, any, any teachings about this, this principle of 10%, that benchmark. Here's what I have found over and over and over and over again. We are called to be generous and to give over and over and over again. The Bible talks about the generosity of the church. And maybe Jesus didn't teach about tithing, but I do believe he approved it. He, he, it was okay with him. There's this little, little verse in Matthew. It's that Jesus is, is talking to some folks. He says, Whoa to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, okay? He's talking about tithing right there. You give a tenth of your spices. Just don't put any spices in the joy box, all right? That's, this is... This is Mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You ha should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He's not saying don't. He is saying in addition to, man, you got you to get the heart condition right. It's not just about dumping a check into the box. It's not just about bringing your, your tithe because you have to. You have to have the right heart and faithfulness and mercy have to be part of your heart. And justice has to be that thing that lives deep in your heart. You can do both. And so, what's the deal? Do we, do we tithe? Do we take this Malachi text and say, okay, I can apply this to my life? Or is that just an Old Testament holdover that we can kind of go, eh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I want that cheerful giver thing. The commandments in the Old Testament were given to the people of Israel as examples of what it means to love and trust God what it means to love him with all of their heart and all of their mind 
and all of their strength. And so command after command was just kind of this blueprint. It was kind of a map of, of what it looks like every day to trust God, what it looks like every day to love him. And so there are things like show mercy to those who are helpless. Be honest in your, in your business dealings. Uh, show justice in your courts of law. Take care of creation. Honor God is sovereign over all things. Worship him only and recognize that everything belongs to him by giving back and the tithe to him. And then we have to move into the New Testament, I think. And there's this verse in John 14 where Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. You see, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law because he said that the law is really about a heart condition. Where is your heart? Jesus never came to abolish, but to fulfill. And his teachings were giving so that we can learn how to live out that love from our heart in the world, empowered by the grace and mercy and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And so God's commands throughout the Bible are all grace to his people. They are his way of guiding us. They're his way of calling us to live in this new life that Jesus Christ gave his life so that we can have life. He doesn't want us to drift and walk away from the, the, the flooding of blessing he wants to pour out on his people. Jesus never really taught about tithing, that word tithing. But what he spoke about was a very radical generosity. Sell everything, give it to the poor, follow me, he told the rich guy. You can't love two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You can't love God and you can't love money. Jesus talked about a very radical, doesn't make sense, generosity of giving. One out of every four Christians in the Western church tithes. One out of every four Christians in the Western church give absolutely nothing at all. And the other 50% give somewhere around three, three and a half percent of their income. But for those who have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit deep down in their heart and have poured out their time and their talents and their resources and their finances out of a place of loving God and trusting God. They have been blessed with riches that you just can't put a dollar sign on. How can you put a price tag on the grace of God in your life how can you put a price tag on the mercy of the Lord that are new every morning? How can you put a price tag on the love of God that he has for you? When we respond in love to his love for us, he will open the floodgates of heaven and pour out his blessing.
on you, on his church. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. And it's a hard one. But Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would would change my heart, change the hearts of all people in your church, and that we would understand that it's not about just following rules, but it's about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. I pray, I pray that we would be transformed in our spirit, in our heart, to love you the way that you've called us to love you. All is grace. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Go be a, go be a blessing this week.